chapter 3 this morning. What does the term God's will mean to you? Most Christians use the term God's will in three ways, as you see there in your handout. First of all, we think of God's sovereign will. God's sovereign will. Ushers are going to come at this time and take our offering. It was in the sovereign will of God that I would move the baby dedication and miss the offering today. It is in the permissive will of God. We're going to do it now. <laughs> Let's ask God's blessings upon our time of giving. And may I ask those who worship online at home, uh, would you join us? Would you join us in giving? You can do it from home. You can give online. You can mail it to the church. But your offering is to God, and your offering is worship. And so many of you are at home, many in this area, some out of the area, if you don't have a church home. But as we give to God, we're giving to be able to reach people with the gospel. And so we want to encourage you to join these here uh, that faithfully give week after week. And many of you do give at home. But if not, uh, may you join us as well. Let's pray. Father, would you bless this time of giving and offering and worship? Uh, may you take each gift, each offering, faith promise, uh, for our missionaries, uh, for the building, uh, the support of the ministry here. God, help us as we seek to be able to reach others with the gospel that they might believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Thank you, men. Thanks for waving me down. So we'll go ahead and pass those plates while we uh, look at some things here in the introductory notes. So God's sovereign will. God is the ultimate ruler of the universe, and nothing happens that is outside of his sovereign will. And so if it already happened, then God allowed it. God permitted it. It may not have been his desire. For instance, it was not his desire uh, for the Holocaust to happen, and yet he permitted it. Uh, God gave angels, he gave human beings a free will to choose to love and to obey, or to choose not to love and not to obey. And so the Bible teaches us that that uh, uh, two-thirds of all the multitude of angels that God made stayed faithful. And one-third of those angels fell away and turned away from God. In the human realm, millions choose not to follow God. And so because of demonic influence, because of lives, lies, last week we saw terrorists. They killed themselves and others at the airport there in Afghanistan. God allowed it. God did not cause it. God did not want it to happen. But in his sovereign will, he allowed it. Secondly, there is God's moral will. And God's moral will is revealed in the Bible. Uh, for all people of all time in all places. We just sang about that. That God, he guides us and he leads us. Psalm 119.105, through the word of God. God decrees what is right and wrong. God is a God of truth and demands that we be honest. So we see that right and wrong, it, it comes out of his character. God is holy and pure and loving and forgiving, and he commands we, his followers, to be like that, to be holy, to be pure, to be loving, to be forgiving. So God's sovereign will, he's the ultimate ruler, and so what, what happens uh, in history we see he allowed it. It's his will, uh, his moral will revealed in the Bible. But then 
Thirdly is God's individual will. And this is God's best plan for your life. Because of free will, you have a choice. You can choose to walk in the path, in the way of God's best or not. And so theologians call this God's perfect will versus God's permissive will. Have you heard that before? God's perfect will and God's permissive will. God's perfect will is God's best plan for you. When you and I make a wrong decision, we've all done it, right? Uh, God permits it. It wasn't his best choice, but he permits it. So God's permissive will is what God allows or permits. It's not his best choice for you. Now, some writers do not believe that God has an individual will for your life. And they will say, well, as long as you're following God's moral will, you can do anything you want. For instance, God says, marry a Christian, so just marry any Christian. And, and uh, uh, that's your choice. I, I don't believe that to be true. Now, the other extreme are those who claim that God is speaking to them audibly every day throughout the day. What's the truth? Does God have a plan for my life? Does God care? Will God help me and guide me to make good and godly decisions in my life? The answer is yes. Would you please stand with me as we see Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3. And for thousands of people... Uh, these are two of their favorite verses. You'll hear in testimony time, uh, highlighted as life verses. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not into thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he, God, shall direct thy path. Let's pray. Father, we praise you that we hold the word of God in our hands. We thank you that we can trust what you wrote and that what you wrote is for our benefit, uh, for our salvation, for our holiness, for our guidance. I thank you that your word is a lamp unto our feet, that it is a light to our path. So God, give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you have for each one of us in our individual lives. I pray that especially in these major decisions of life, guide us. May we walk in your will. May we be filled with the knowledge and understanding of your perfect will for our lives, our family, our church, our country. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Uh, we live in the information age. More information is available to you and me today than in all of history. Is that right? So how big is the internet how big is the internet it's hard to say <laughs> there are 4.7 billion internet users in the world with over 1.8 billion websites so more than 60 percent of the population and that includes babies and everyone uh, are on the internet is your email inbox full is your email inbox full? I think I know why, because 319 billion emails are sent every day. That's a lot of emails. 5.2 billion YouTube videos will be seen today. And, and thank you for those watching online, <laughs> all right? You're, you're adding to that. Now the question is, is the information on the internet reliable? 
That's a lot of information out there, right? But it doesn't mean that all the information is true, right? Has anyone here ever read anything on the internet that is not true? Would you raise your hand? Okay. <laughs> Do you know there are websites to tell you that some websites aren't true? But those websites can also be slanted as well. There's only one book you can completely trust. That's God's book. That's God's truth. That's God's word. Thy word is truth. Yet with all this information, we've never lived in a more difficult time to make good decisions. What about those specific decisions in our lives? What are some of the decisions that people are struggling with here and around the country? Uh, big decisions. Who should I marry? Should I marry? Should I have children? How many should I adopt? Should I adopt a baby, a child, a teenager? Should I get vaccinated or not? Uh, what, if I, what if I get fired for not getting vaccinated? And several in our church and millions around the country are facing that question and that decision. School boards are voting. Do I roll in a charter school, a public school, Christian school? Uh, should I change jobs? When should I retire? So many specific questions. And if you want to know God's will, it begins when you surrender to God, when you submit to God. And we saw that last week in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. The most fulfilling life that you can have is when you are all in for God. When you're all in for God, God brings such joy and peace and power to your life. And God says you may prove, you may discover, you may discern, you may find out God's perfect will for your life. But what about those tough decisions? Does God have any counsel when it comes to making hard choices for specific things? Does God have a perfect will for my life? The answer is yes. The answer is yes. And we don't have to stress over that. We just need to be surrendered to God, submit to God, and he'll be the one to lead us. And we see that here in Proverbs chapter 3. So notice what he says in verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, wholeheartedly, with your heart, with your mind, with your emotions. Completely rely on God and what he says. Believe that God's ways can always be trusted. And then he says, lean not unto thine own understanding. So we're su supposed to trust God, but not to lean on our own understanding. What does that mean? That means if your logic contradicts God's truth, trust God, not yourself. Trust God, not yourself. Don't try and figure out your problem on your own. Seek God. And then he says, in all thy ways acknowledge him. That is, in everything you do, put God first. That's a Matthew 6, 33 verse. In everything you do, seek God, put God first. Make your decision as if God were standing right beside you. So those are the three conditions. Look at the result. He shall direct thy paths. God, he'll, he will not only guide you, but he's going to go with you on the journey. He'll be with you. That's why Jesus said, I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. So when you come to the fork in the road, when you have to make a decision, what do I do? What's the decision? Which way will I go? I want to give you some helpful signs to look at from the Word of God that have helped me. It's going to help you too. 
Number one's pretty obvious. Number one is the signpost of Scripture. The best book ever written on knowing the will of God for your life is the Bible. We sang it. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet. It is a light unto my path. The Bible tells us God's moral law, and it gives us principles to help us to discover God's individual will. And so God, he speaks to us through the pages of Scripture. He speaks to our hearts. Ask yourself, what has God already said about this decision? The more you know, the more you believe, the more you follow God's word, the more prepared you are to live life that God has designed for you. And then the signpost of prayer, the signpost of prayer. Uh, Pray about your decision. Ask God to guide you. I, I I have prayed and asked God to help in every major decision of my life since I have been saved, and I believe that God has guided me in those specific decisions. If you, if, if you believe that all you have to do is follow God's moral will and he, has a, and he has no specific plan for you, well, then that makes prayer irrelevant. It makes prayer irrelevant. But, but Paul prayed for the Colossian Christians to know God's will. Look with me there in your notes, Colossians 1.9. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not to cease to pray for you and to desire, desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Paul says, I'm praying for you every day. I'm praying for you to, to be filled with the knowledge of his will, with spiritual understanding and wisdom. If, if the only thing that God has to say about your life is written in the Bible, then you don't need to pray about it. You just need to read it. But in chapter 4, verse 12 in Colossians, Epaphras, uh, one of Paul's co-laborers, Epaphras, he prayed for the Colossian Christians to know God's will. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, saluteth you always, laboring fervently for you in prayers, that ye may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. I, I, I pray for you to know and do God's will. I pray. Pray for my kids and my grandkids to know and to do God's will for their lives. Now, the classic example of how prayer affects our lives is Hezekiah, King Hezekiah. He's been a good king up to this point, uh, and I want you to see how his prayer impacted God's will in 2 Kings 20. Did Hezekiah's prayer extend his life? And so here's the bad news. In those days when was Hezekiah sick unto death. And the prophet Isaiah came to him and said, Thus saith the Lord, Set thine house in order, for thou shalt die and not live. So God gives the message to the prophet, Go tell the king, this sickness is going to bring his death. God gave the message to the prophet, the word of God, give to the king, you're going to die, set your house in order. And then there's this earnest prayer in this crisis. Then he, the king, turned his face to the wall. He prayed unto the Lord, saying, I beseech thee, O Lord. Remember now how I walk before thee in truth with a perfect heart and have done that which is good in thy sight. And Hezekiah wept sore. And now we see God's answer in verse 4 to 6. It came to pass, before Isaiah was gone out of the middle of the court, 
that the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Turn again, tell Hezekiah, thus saith the Lord, I have heard thy prayer, I have seen thy tears. Behold, I will heal thee, and I will add unto thy days fifteen years. Wow. I've often wondered about Isaiah the prophet. He gets the message from God, go tell Hezekiah the king. And so he goes and he goes, knocks on the door. They bring him into the palace. And he says, king, I've got a message from you. You're sick. You've been very sick. You're, you're sick unto death. Yeah, that's what's going to happen. Set your house in order. You're going to die. And I'm sure the king was very upset. And Isaiah, he bows and he excuses himself. And as he's walking out, he walks out the door. Hezekiah is over there praying to God. And before he gets to the middle of the court, God stops Isaiah and says, go back. I want you to go back and tell him that he's going to live for 15 years. I've often wondered if Isaiah thought, well, God, it's only been five minutes. You told me to go tell him he's going to die, and I'm supposed to go back and tell him he's going to live for 15 years. What's going on here? Well, he prayed to me, and I'm answering his prayer. And I want him to know that I'm truly answering his prayer, so tell him that I can make the sundial go down uh, 15 degrees or go back 15 degrees. And the king says, well, it's obviously going to go down, so make it go back, and the miracle occurs, and he lives 15 more years. And so I, I ask you, what happened? God answered Hezekiah's prayer, don't be like the hyper-Calvinist who believe everything is already predestined. We have the privilege, we have the responsibility to pray, to seek God's guidance and help, to intercede for others. If Hezekiah would not have prayed, would he have lived 15 more years? What do you think? No. He would have died, but he prayed. You say, did God change his mind? Well, in God's sovereign will, God already saw how it was going to transpire, didn't he? Because he prayed, God responded to that prayer. And I think we need to pray too. Offer yourself as a living sacrifice, Romans chapter 12, verse 1. There's one condition that God requires before he will reveal to you his specific will. It's a prerequisite. In Romans 12, we're to offer ourselves a living sacrifice, not a dead sacrifice, a living sacrifice. That means surrender to God. Submit to God. Why would God lead you if you're not following him? Why would God lead you in all of your tomorrows if you're not following him today? And so as we pray, as we pray, God reveals his will for our lives, especially in the major decisions of life. It is by God's mercies that we say yes and we follow these signposts in our life. And so the major decisions in my life, I believe were guided by, guided by God once I, I became a Christian. The first major decision was to receive Christ as my Savior at the age of 15. Surrendering to God's call <coughs> to the ministry at age 16. Choosing a spouse starting a church at the age of 24. All five of our major building projects, including the current one, seeking God in prayer, marrying Jody when I was 36, not to mention the birth of our five children. Clearly, we all need to pray about the biggest decisions in our lives. Well, what do we pray? 
When we pray, what do we ask God to do for us? And I believe from Colossians 1, we're to pray for wisdom and understanding. James 1, 5, when you're in the trial, ask God for wisdom. He gives to all men liberally and upbraideth not. Pray for God to intervene. Pray for God to intervene. How? By opening and closing doors. Three times our church family voted unanimously to buy property. Uh, once on Egypt Road, once on Ashenfelter Road, uh, once on Black Rock Road, uh, a mile and a half down the road. We thought it was God's will. We prayed for God's will. And God sovereignly shut down all three of those agreements because he had this piece of land for us. It's like he's saying, you're getting closer. <laughs> you're getting closer. So we prayed, God intervened. And then to pray for God to give you peace. We'll talk more about that next week. And if you are married, to pray for God to speak to your spouse. John Maxwell says, every major decision I make in life, I ask God to speak to one person. It's my wife, Margaret. My wife, Margaret. Good advice. So of the ten major decisions in my life, eight of them came into focus rather quickly. Only two came with great struggle in prayer and required great surrender of my heart. And so some of you, you're in a great struggle about a decision. It might be with work. It might be with what's going on with the mandates. You're going to have to, to come to God in prayer. You're going to have to surrender to be able to let God have your heart and then to be able to direct you. Uh, the two great struggles that I had in discerning God's will, the first one was the, the surrender to ministry at age 16. I mean, for a quiet, shy teenager that was always younger and shorter than everyone else in the class, uh, to, to surrender to go into ministry was a huge step of surrender to become a preacher. The second great struggle of knowing God's will was to discern who to marry after being widowed. Dozens and, and dozens of people uh, thought they knew God's will. Some of you are here today. I won't mention all their names, but, uh, you know, if she's six foot three, it's not going to work. If she speaks Spanish as her first language, it's probably not going to work. So everyone's trying to help. Simultaneously, while they're trying to help me, folks are trying to help Jody. You know, there's one man, uh, a preacher, John Halsey, he tried to set up, up Jody with a different guy, and he tried to set up me with a different girl. Clearly, the man doesn't know God's will, all right? He's in heaven now. Now he knows God's will. But it was a struggle. Uh, uh, John Hetrick was working on my house at the time, and he said, Pastor, he said, everything is going to work out. He said, a lady is just going to drive into Cancy Court. Her car is going to break down. She's going to knock on your door, and you're going to marry her. I said, right. One thing's for sure, her car is not going to get fixed. I'm not going to be able to help her with that one. So you got the signpost of Scripture. What does God say? You got the signpost of prayer. Pray and wait. Pray some more. Wait some more. You've heard me say that when you pray, there are four answers to prayer. God says yes. God says no. God says wait. 
And God says, you've got to be kidding. <laughs> Did you really ask that? Do you really want that? So we have to pray. We have to wait. Number three is the signpost of time. Of all the seven signposts, number three, the signpost of time is the most difficult. Uh, verse 6 says, He shall direct thy paths, and that comes in his time. In his time. This is difficult. No one likes to wait. In Bible times and today, God has his purposes to make us wait. There are times in the Bible, it's like, why is he making them wait? And then we ask the same question, Lord, why are you making me wait? And the answer most often is, he wants to grow our faith. He wants to grow our faith. Why did, Jesus, why did Jesus calm the storm when the boat is almost ready to sink? Why didn't he calm the storm when it began? He wants to grow our faith. He wants us to learn to trust in him. Psalm 41, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined unto me, and he heard my cry. Psalm 25, 5, lead me in thy truth, teach me, for thou art the God of my salvation. On thee do I wait all the day. Who likes to wait? No one. Uh, kids don't want to wait. Have you ever seen those, those, uh, uh, th those videos where they, they put a child in the room and they, they, they put a cookie and they say, now, if you will wait, if you'll wait three minutes, we're going to give you five cookies. And then they leave, and then they watch, and, and some of the kids, they just, they wait. And some of them take it, and, and they'll lick it, and some will chew it. And, and who likes to wait? Nobody likes to wait. Kids don't like to wait, but, you know, teenagers and single adults, they don't like to wait. And, and, and adults, we don't like to wait. We don't like to wait. Um, we want what we want and we want it now. We want the answer now. God says, some of the answers you're not going to get right away. Some of the answers you're going to have to wait even till heaven. We want our kids to behave now. We want a promotion, a raise, a better job now. We want the desire of our heart now. And it could be marriage. It could be kids. It could be grandkids. It could be uh, adoption. It could be healing. God says, I want you to wait. I want you to wait. I, when I was a kid in Texas, I, my mom was baking a cake. I was in elementary school. I couldn't wait. And I, I remember opening the door of the oven and smelling the cake. And, and then I let go, and the door banged shut. Well, ladies, you know what happened. You know what happened. My mom checked that cake. Oh, she was not happy. It looked like a meteor had landed. That cake fell and, and it made it flat. Uh, still tasted good, uh, but it's not the way she wanted it. If you want to know God's will, learn to wait. They that wait upon the Lord shall what? Renew their, their strength, Isaiah 40, 31. So be patient. This is especially true in financial decisions. When in doubt, wait. If it is God's will today, it will most likely be God's will tomorrow if the salesman presses you and you have to buy today don't buy learn to say no or at least wait have you heard the old saying fools rush in where angels 
fear to tread. We're wise men. <laughs> Act in haste, repent in leisure. Credit card debt, impulse buying, often happens because we are more, we ignore God's signpost of take your time. People who are in debt are not watching the signpost of time. Do not be focused on getting more material things. Uh, look what Hebrews 13.5 says. Let your conversation, let your lifestyle be without covetousness. And be content with such things as ye have. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Are you content? Are you content with what God has given to you? Time will confirm God's answer, won't it? Time and truth come together. Just be patient. So that first major decision that I struggled with in knowing God's will was I was planning on being a pilot. I wanted to go to the Air Force Academy and to be able to, to, to let go of that desire and that dream to follow God's will was a surrender. And then, like I said, the other decisions seemed to flow really easily until being widowed, a couple of years had passed. As I said, many people are desiring to help me to find the one that, that, uh, that I, I could marry. My desire was to remarry. And so I began praying. After two years, I began writing Jody. Many of you heard the story, but some have not. I would write a letter, and we'd get to Canada in five days. She would write a letter, and we'd get to Pennsylvania in five days. I'd write another letter, and this went on for nearly three months. Every five days, a letter would come, a letter would go. And so after nearly three months of writing, I asked her to come to Pennsylvania, and I offered to visit there. I figured her dad would probably want me, her dad mom would want me to come there, and so I offered to visit. And the first date that I offered was December the 18th, 1995, and then a, a date uh, following uh, a week or two later. This was going to be the next big step to discover God's will, to learn to discern God's will, to meet each other face to face, to even talk to each other. We hadn't even talked to one another yet. This is, this is no email and social media and FaceTime. Had not been invented yet. And so we uh, were writing. So I write, I give the date, no reply and no letter. I wrote her again thinking maybe it was not the right time to come. Maybe it was too soon. Well, the day came, December 18, the day I was hoping to go to Canada to meet Jody. I'm still in Pennsylvania. No word. Meanwhile, in Canada, in the providence of God, the letter was lost in the mail. Lost in the mail. Jody received this letter on the same day I offered to come. And she wrote on the back of the envelope, December 18, 1995. Now, I've not seen this letter in 25 and a half years. But every letter that she wrote me, I kept. Every letter that I wrote her, she kept. And so this week, I pulled it out. And I read it again. As I said, I offered to come. Having no news 
that this was lost in the mail, I got on my knees and I prayed, Lord, I want your will more than I want to be married. And you know I want to be married again. But if it is your will to raise my boys, who were, were still young at the time, if it is your will for me to raise my boys as a single dad until they graduate from high school, I surrender that to you. I'd been out several times at this point, been contacted dozens and dozens of times. Nothing has worked out. And so at this point, if it's not her, I figure it is not God's will. Folks, that's what God was waiting for from me. Surrender and submission to his will to pray, not my will, but thine be done. I assumed Jody's dad, pastor in Canada, thought it was fine, fine for a single dad with two boys from another country to write his daughter, but visiting probably sounded way too serious. Well, the next day I searched and found their number because I figured we just can't keep doing this if it's not going to go any further. You know how we used to find phone numbers back in those days? What did you dial? 411, right? Yeah, information. I found her number, and I called, and uh, Jody's dad came to the phone. Had never, I talked to him once. I had asked uh, when he was at the church if I could write her. And he asked me this question. Do you think this is of the Lord? Open door. <laughs> do you think this is of the Lord? I said, yes, sir, I do. He said, you are welcome to come. Would you like to talk to Jody? And I said, yes, I would. And with my heart pounding out of my chest, uh, she came on the phone, and with her Canadian accent, she said, hi, Scott. And I knew in that moment, this is God's will for my life. There's a sign on her bedroom wall that says, you had me at hello. You had me at hello. I called her Christmas Day, then flew to Canada to meet her for the first time uh, the day after Christmas. A month later, we were engaged. A month later, Jody met the boys and all my family and many of you for the first time. Now, clearly, it was in God's sovereign counsel that, that she would say yes to marry me before she would meet my brother and sister-in-law and <laughs> to meet some of you. Uh, Dave Davis was teaching uh, Sunday school that Sunday, the first Sunday she came here. Whoa to the neighbors from the north. And, you know, so we had lots of fun with that. But this is the first time, this is the first moment uh, that uh, Jody met her her sons-to-be. God's answer did not come until I surrendered my will to God. You say, did, did, did God cause the letter to be lost in the mail? I wrote it beginning of December, and it shows up December 18. It, says, it has airmail uh, stamped on the front twice. Now, I can't tell you for certain that an angel came down from heaven and kind of slipped it on the floor for, uh, uh, for an extra week. I don't know that, but I do know this. It didn't show up until December 18. I do know this, that God used those circumstances in my life for me 
to surrender fully to God's will, whatever it is. And so God used that. And so it was kind of special for me to pull it out after 25 years and, and read that letter. No, you can't read it. No, you can't read it. <laughs> we weren't engaged yet, so it wasn't too mushy. <laughs> Have you come to the place in your life where you've surrendered to God? May I invite you today to pray, Dear God, I surrender my life to your will. I want you to lead me. If you want to experience God by knowing and doing God's will, it's going to be with surrender. What do you need to surrender to God today? Lord, Lord, I'm struggling to stay in this marriage with a difficult spouse. You need to surrender. Lord, I'm struggling with my kids and my parents and my boss and my teacher, my friends. I'm struggling with these government mandates. We need to surrender. Lord, if I accept you as my Savior, I'll be turning my back on my family's religion. You need to surrender. If you want God to lead you, humbly surrender your heart to God and submit to His will, the perfect will that He has for you. Why? Because it's best. Because it's best. Why would God lead you in all your tomorrows if you're not following Him today? What do you need to do today to follow God? Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the, the power of it. Thank you for controlling the circumstances of our lives that we might come to the place where we surrender, where we submit that we can be filled with the knowledge and understanding of your will. And yet we know that the first surrender, the first step in the will of God is to be saved, to believe on Jesus Christ, to receive him as Lord and Savior, not to trust in baptism or sacraments, but to trust in Christ alone. Heads about, eyes are closed. You'd say, Pastor, if I die today, I know that I am in the will of God regarding my salvation. There was a time in my life that I asked Jesus to be my Savior. I am trusting in Him alone, not church, attendance, not baptism, not being good, not sacraments. I trust in Jesus alone. And if you're not ashamed to be called a Christian, would you simply raise your hand all over this congregation? I'm born again. I'm a child of God. Thank you. You may put your hands down. Now, the invitation is to you who have not yet trusted Christ. God says today is the day of salvation. When you hear the good news, Jesus died for you. He rose again. He offers the gift of eternal life. Come to Christ today. If the Spirit of God is tapping on your heart, would you receive him? Would you trust him right where you're seated as I did in an invitation prayer? As a 15-year-old teenager, you can trust Christ now. If you're watching online at home, you can trust Jesus Christ now. You say, Pastor, God has spoken in my heart. God is tapping on my heart. He's tugging. He's pulling. I want to be saved today. Would you simply raise your hand? Anyone at all? I'm not sure if heaven's my home, but today I want to believe upon Christ. I want to trust him as my Lord and Savior. God bless you. Thank you. Anyone else? I want to trust Jesus Christ as my Savior today. 
The Bible says if you call upon the name of the Lord, you shall be saved. If you're watching online at home and you're not 100% sure that heaven's your home, would you pray with me right now? And you who raised your hand in the auditorium today, pray with me now from your heart. You can pray sincerely. You can pray silently. God will hear the prayer of your heart as we call upon the Lord. Pray with me. Dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I ask you to forgive me of all of my sin. I believe Jesus died for me and rose again. Please come into my heart and become my Lord and Savior. Please save me today. With her heads bowed, with her eyes closed, may I say to you, if you just pray with me, welcome to the family of God. We want to meet you. If you're watching online at home, we want to hear from you. We want to help you grow in your faith. Now, Christian, may I ask you to, to pray that prayer of surrender. Jesus prayed it in his humanity in the Garden of Gethsemane. Not my will, but thine be done. So as we have this invitation song, would you do business with God? Would you make that surrender to the Lord today? that God's way is best would you trust him today would you surrender would you let go would you believe the more will of God would you seek the individual will of God God's best for your life Father, we come to your house today because we love you, because we want to exalt Jesus Christ in our lives. We've come, we want to be filled with the Spirit of God. We want to be surrendered and yielded to you. I pray that you'd help us to begin to edify, to be a blessing to those in our family, those in our church family. Help us to shine as bright lights to those that we work with. Help us to be a, a testimony, a, a beacon of light as a church to our community, to fill our Jerusalem with the good news of Christ. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Acts chapter 5 this evening. In Acts 1, Jesus gave his church their marching orders, didn't he? Uh, he said they would be empowered by the Holy Spirit. There'll be witnesses starting at home in Jerusalem, all of Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost part. And so here we find the enemies of the gospel that want to stop that because phase one is just about being completed. Verse 28, verse 28, they say, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine. So my question to us tonight is, have we filled our Jerusalem with the good news yet? Have we filled our Jerusalem with the good news yet? Would you please stand with me as I read from Acts chapter 5? We begin in verse 12. And by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people, and they were all of one accord in Solomon's porch. And of the rest, durst no man join himself to them, 
but the people magnified them. And the believers were the more added to the Lord multitudes, both of men and women. There were 3,000, there were 5,000, now there were multitudes added to this church, insomuch that they brought forth sick into the streets, laid them on beds and couches, that as the, at least the shadow of Peter passing by might overshadow some of them. There came also a multitude out of the cities round about in Jerusalem, bringing sick folks, and them which were vexed with unclean spirits. Now notice, notice, and they were healed. How many? Every one. Then the high priest rose up, and all they that were with them, which is the sect of the Sadducees, were filled with indignation. They laid hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison. But the angel of the Lord by night opened the prison doors and brought them forth and said, Go, stand and speak in the temple to the people all the words of this life. Yes, there you have it, an angelic jailbreak. An angelic jailbreak. I love it. Let's pray together. Lord, tonight it is our desire to please you, to worship you, to believe you, to trust you, and to be obedient to filling our Jerusalem with the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ, just as the apostles did. And Lord, help us to to not be discouraged or dismayed when there comes opposition our way because you told us to expect it, but not to be discouraged by it, but rather to rejoice because great is the reward you have promised in heaven. Bless our time in your word tonight. Encourage us. I pray if there is one here tonight and they're just not certain if heaven is their home, may tonight, may the spiritual eyes and their heart be open to know that Jesus Christ is the way of salvation. Jesus Christ is the one who forgives sins and gives us this new life that we are so excited to share with others. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So here we are, first century faith in the 21st century. Here we are in 2021. We have the same God as the apostles We have the same Savior as the apostles. We have the same great commission, but we actually have greater opportunities to witness than the apostles. Uh, We certainly have greater freedom than they had, and yet we have not made the mark on our society as our great, great, great Christian grandparents did in Jerusalem in the first century. So this is our challenge. Fill Jerusalem with this good news. And when I read and I listen to this passage again and again, it just brings conviction to my soul. There's a job to be done. We are supposed to do it. Not the angels. You and me, God gave this message to us. So here we have, we have this baby mega church spreading the good news of salvation all over Jerusalem. So what happened? The New Testament has not yet been written. And so here's what's going on. God confirmed their word with signs and wonders. So if you want to hold your finger here, back to Mark chapter 16, important uh, teaching from the Lord Jesus. In Mark chapter 16, as he is getting ready to ascend to heaven, he gives the, uh, the, the great commission prior to that ascension. In Mark 16 and in verse 17, 
In verse 15, he says, Go into all the world, preach a gospel to every creature. In 17, These signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues, speaking in languages. That was the day of Pentecost. They shall take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. So then, after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up to heaven, sat on the right hand of God, and they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word, the word of the preaching of the message with signs following. And so now we come here to Acts chapter 5, verse 12. And by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people. Jesus said it would happen. Now it's happening just as he said it would happen. And so the apostles, who primarily are the ones performing the miracles, Hebrews 2, 3, and 4 uh, tells us this as well, uh, that we have not to neglect so great salvation, which at first began to be spoken by the Lord, and unto us that heard them, they confirmed the word with these signs and wonders. Uh, not Oral Roberts, not Robert Tilton, not Peter Popoff, not Benny Hinn. They are charlatans. You see, the apostles preached that Jesus died on the cross. The apostles preached that Jesus rose again from the dead. They just kept saying, He is alive. He is alive. He is alive because He's alive. And they got to see him and touch him and listen to him speak as he appeared 10 times over 40 days after his resurrection. People would say, well, how do we know that you're telling the truth? And they would say, see this blind man? He can see. See this man who's crippled, paralyzed? Now he can walk. Jesus healed him. So God confirmed their word with signs and wonders because the New Testament had not yet been written. Only true believers join the church. Verse 13 and 14. Uh, no man joined himself, but the people magnified them. The believers were the more added to the Lord. Now, this is right after the chastisement of Ananias and Sapphira, which was, was a sin unto death. And so you had to be serious. You had to be serious if you're going to, to be saved and get baptized and join the church. Only true believers became part of the church. The important thing was the message, not the miracles. You know, witnessing a miracle does not save anyone. And people today, you can Google, you can Google and, and see supposed miracles, pictures and apparitions of, of the Virgin Mary in, in a stained glass or in some type of food or even in a rain puddle. And they say, oh, it's a miracle, it's a miracle. You know, when Jesus fed the 5,000 men, about 25,000 people, everyone saw the miracle, but not everyone got saved. A miracle will not save you, but the message of Jesus Christ, trusting him as your own Savior, that's what will save you. Then notice also the apostles healed everyone. And this is extremely important to understand why God allowed the apostles to perform these miracles. In verse 15, in verse 15, they brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and couches that possibly the shadow of Peter uh, might pass over them and bring healing. 
Wouldn't that be a bummer if you're on the wrong side of the street? <laughs> Sun shining there, shadows this way. I'm on the wrong side of the street. That, that would be a bummer, wouldn't it? But look at the next verse. Uh, there came also a multitude out of the cities round about unto Jerusalem, bringing sick folks, and them which were vexed with unclean spirits, and they were healed. Oh, I marked it in my Bible. They were healed, everyone. That is so cool. Jerusalem's a big city. I mean, it is, the, it is the capital of Israel. All of the sick people in Jerusalem were brought near the apostles. Not just the city of Jerusalem, the cities round about. Word got out, and they brought their sick folk, and they're all healed. Every one of them. There were no failures. Nobody was sent away because he or she did not have enough what? You didn't have enough faith to be healed. It's your fault. It's not the faith healer's fault. These were not faith healers like the TV evangelists today. They were apostles exercising the gift of an apostle for this time of church history. Hold your finger here. 2 Corinthians 12, 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 12. The Bible's very clear about this. And yet people are so confused today. Tonight, when you get home, you can turn on TV and you will hear the false teachers. That will contradict what I'm sharing with you tonight. 2 Corinthians 12, 12. Truly, the signs. The signs of who? The signs of an apostle were wrought among you in all patience and signs and wonders and mighty deeds. And so what you have here is a true apostle exercise the gifts of the apostle and that was to be able to that was to be able to to uh, cast out demons dunamis the gift of miracles that was the ability to uh, to be able to be bit by a serpent the way paul was an apostle out of due season an apostle to the gentiles remember he gathered up the sticks and the serpent bit him poisonous serpent he didn't die an apostle had the ability to be able to heal with a word or a touch and that included raising the dead. Oral Roberts said he raised 600 people from the dead. Don't believe him. Don't believe him. One of the largest churches in California had, a, uh, had an associate pastor's toddler die several months ago. And he prayed. He prayed that God would raise the toddler from the dead. This, this, is, this is recent news didn't happen false teaching false prophet did peter raise the dead yes did paul raise the dead yes and then those men they were confirmed by the miracles so they could write scripture and we would know that this is from god we don't i don't need to perform a miracle uh, to say to you thus saith the lord i go to the bible thus saith the lord this bible is perfect it's perfect. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. And so I don't have to perform a miracle. You don't have to perform a miracle to verify what's true. They did as they wrote the New Testament. Tonight when you turn on the TV and a man says that he is an apostle today, TV or radio, turn him off. There are only 12 apostles, and it's not Brother Jimmy John down in Philadelphia. They're not apostles don't listen to him. If they were true apostles, they would have the gift of an apostle, 
they would go to children's hospital and they would start on the first floor and clean it out in one night. That's what happened here. The gift of the apostle. They healed the way Jesus healed. With a word or a touch, they healed immediately, completely. The gift of healing included raising the dead. It does not happen today. God is not giving new revelation. Our Bible is complete. Our Bible is perfect. Letter D, the greatest miracle is salvation. It's the, it's the, the gift of the new birth. If you've been saved, you have experienced the greatest miracle of all, being born again, being forgiven of all of your sins. It's not about getting baptized or sacraments or being good or going to church. It's about asking Jesus to come into your heart. You say, oh, pastor, I believe. You believe here, but do you trust here? Because if you trust here, it's going to show up in your life. So the church continues to boldly share Christ. It continues to grow, and so Satan attacks. His first attack was outside the church in Acts chapter 4. It was threatening. His second attack was inside the church, Acts chapter 5, with the hypocrisy of Ananias and Sapphira. Now in chapter 5, once again, the attack is from outside. In spite of his attack, they continue to share the good news. Have we filled our Jerusalem with the news of Christ? They did. The, they filled Jerusalem with the good news in spite of opposition from the council. And so notice the apostles were arrested in verse 17. They were told not to preach. They continued to preach. Verse 17, the high priest rose up with all that were with him, the sect of the Sadducees. That's the council. They were filled with indignation. They laid hands on the apostles. They put them in the common prison. First time they arrested Peter and John, now they have arrested all 12 apostles. They've arrested them. Why? Three reasons. They arrested them because Peter and John had not obeyed the official orders to stop preaching the name of Christ. May we never stop preaching and sharing Christ. They were defying the laws of their leaders. They taught the opposite doctrine of the Sadducees. The Sadducees did not believe in what teaching? The teaching of the resurrection. And so you've heard that's why they were sad, you see? And so they didn't believe in a resurrection. And here they, these guys keep saying, Jesus is alive, Jesus is alive. That's contrary to one of their main tenets of their faith. And then thirdly, the religious leaders were filled with envy. The same way that they were about Christ. In fact, in Matthew chapter 27, 18, for he, for Pilate, knew that for envy they delivered up Jesus. They're jealous. And now these men are jealous of Peter and John and the apostles. You know, it's amazing how much envy can be hidden under the disguise of defending the faith. And this is an important message for all of our hypercritical friends who want to make mountains out of molehills. Now, the apostles did not resist arrest. They did not organize a public protest. They just quietly went to jail, but they were released. How? Verse 19, But the angel of the Lord by night opened the prison doors and brought them forth. And then he commanded them. This is the angel commanding them. Verse 20, Go, stand and speak in the temple to the people all the words of this life. I, I love that description. 
the words of this life. And when they heard that, they entered into the temple early in the morning, and they taught. But the high priest came, uh, they that were with him, and called the council together, and all the senate, that's the Sadducees of the children of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. And so what you have is this this prison break uh, that that is carried out by an angel. Now, it's God the Father's plan to to disobey the local government, right? God sends the angel, the door is miraculously opened, and and they leave. And they are told by the angel, go preach. Now, wouldn't wouldn't it have been better for God just to send the angel and have an angel show up and, you know, remember touched by an angel when, when she would reveal herself, the light would come on her head and she'd glow and say, oh, it's an angel. Uh, wouldn't, wouldn't that be easier for God just to send the angel and have, turn on the spotlight? It's, it's God gave saved human beings the privilege and responsibility to share the gospel. This is not a message for the angels to share, but the angel told the Christians, you go share it but we're the ones that are to share the gospel is new life, uh, new life with new friends and new music and a new way of thinking and a new way of living, a new way of talking. It's new because God is now in our lives. I like that kind of Christianity. I like that. I like the faith they demonstrated. They were excited about being Christians. How about you? Do you feel that way about being saved? It's new life. D.L. Moody was once accosted on the streets of Chicago by a drunk. He came upon him and he said, in his drunken state, Aren't you Mr. Moody? As he slurred his speech, he said, Why, I'm one of your converts. To which Moody replied, That may be true, for surely you're not one of the Lord's. (laughs) Several times a new Christian will say, Pastor, save me. Pastor, save me. No, no, I can't save anyone, neither can you. The Lord is the one who saves. But they weren't tired. They didn't get a full night's sleep. Here they are up early getting out the gospel. Now they are put on trial to stop the gospel. You want to see some interesting facts? Here are some interesting facts. Number one, the guards are carefully guarding an empty jail cell, and they don't even know it. They're guarding an empty jail cell. Uh, Number two, the highest powers of Israel, the high priest, the captain of the temple, the council of the Sadducees, uh, they gathered together to judge prisoners that they don't even have. Number three, while the leaders are hotly debating as what happened to their prisoners, they're told that the apostles were preaching in the courts of the temple. We pick that up in verse 21. They sent to the prison to have them brought. The officers came. They found them not in the prison. They returned and told, saying, The prison truly found we shut with all safety. The keepers standing without before the doors. The guards were there. We opened. We found no man within. Now when the high priest and the captain of the temple and the chief priest heard these things, they doubted of them where unto this would grow. Then came one and told them, Behold, the men whom ye put in prison are standing in the temple, and they are teaching the people. And so they rearrest them. Verse 26, when the captain, then went the captain with the officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people, lest they should have been stoned. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council and the high priest. And they 
asked them, actually they charged them, verse 28, did not we straightly command you that you should not teach in this name? Behold, ye have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. What a wonderful statement. What a wonderful testimony from lost people. You guys have taken your message and everybody in the whole city knows about your Jesus. Everybody knows that you say that he is alive. You have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine. Have we filled our Jerusalem with the good news of Christ? They did. We're supposed to. And so they filled Jerusalem with the good news in spite of opposition from the council. Secondly, because of the apostles' commitment to Christ. They knew he was alive. They knew this message was true. And so their, their defense against the charges, we told you not to preach. Here's their defense, verse 29. Peter and the other apostles answered and said, would you say with me, we ought to obey God rather than men. We ought to obey God rather than men. I'd say that Peter and the 11 apostles, they had their priorities arranged the right way that day. Yes, we're to obey government until they step outside of their God-given authority and responsibility. How many times have you seen a TV show or a, a movie and the, uh, the federal agent shows up at the crime scene in the small town and he flashes his badge and he said, uh, I'm taking over the investigation now. Uh, this is my jurisdiction. And so part of the tension and the drama is the, uh, the local sheriff from the small town says, no, 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 this is my jurisdiction. And, the, and uh, the big city federal agent says, no, no, this is my jurisdiction. Well, who's in charge and, and who's control? You know, God's authority, this tension illustrates an important factor of the biblical doctrine of the spheres of authority. All authority belongs to God. All power, all authority belongs to God. He delegates some authority in the home. He delegates some authority to the government. He delegates some authority to church, uh, some authority in business with employers and employees. Uh, he delegates uh, particular uh, uh, operations of authority. It's his design. And when we follow God's design, we have harmony, we have justice. But when any one sphere overreaches, the result is abuse. When one sphere abdicates, the result is, is chaos, a chaotic neglect. And up until March 2020, few of us had to deal with this tension at a church level. We've all had to deal with it at an individual level, with each state governor exercising emergency powers over restaurants and businesses and churches. Uh, we've had to learn how to balance the restrictions and the lockdowns. We're all facing the question, how does this apply to us? Uh, when do we uh, say to the government, this is not your jurisdiction? At our new member fellowship last night, I was asked this question. What will we do as a church if the government says we cannot meet as a church unless everyone is vaccinated? Without hesitation, I said, we will continue to meet. Even if it includes threats, 
even if it includes fines, even if it includes imprisonment and jail time. Now, as, as police chaplain, Pastor Eifert and I both have a swipe card to get into the police station. The question is, will it work to get us out? <laughs> I don't know, and I'm hoping I don't have to experience that, uh, but this is where we stand. Because God, he delegates different authority, church, family, and government. We are commanded to meet together for worship and not, not if. We're not commanded to meet together for worship unless this or that is true. God has not given the government the right to restrict church assemblies because of vaccination mandates. If you want to get vaccinated, get it done. If you don't want to get vaccinated, don't do it. That has nothing to do with us meeting on Sunday to celebrate that Jesus Christ is alive. We're just not going to bow to that kind of pressure or threats. And I believe, along with many others, that we can work together with the government to understand the health issues, but we are not in subjection to the government. I participated in several faith leader Zoom meetings with the Montgomery County commissioners, commissioners with the health department uh, this last year. We listened respectfully to their recommendations, and then we follow the scriptures. We follow the word of God. What a contrast here in Acts 5. On the one side, you see the Jewish council, the Sadducees. On the other side, you have the apostles. On the one side, you see educated, you see ordained, you see approved men with no power of God in their lives. On the other side, you see a group of ordinary men, yet God's power is working on their lives. The Sadducees, they're trying to protect themselves. The apostles, they're willing to risk their lives to share the gospel. And so here is their offense in verse 30. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom ye slew and hanged on a tree. Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses of these things. And so also the Holy Ghost, whom, by, whom God hath given to them that obey him. If you want to go to heaven, believe on Jesus Christ. If you want to go to heaven, trust the Savior who, who went to the cross, took your sin, rose again, and offers the gift of eternal life. So they said, here we stand, here we die. And what is the result? Verse 33. When they heard that, the leaders, they were cut to their heart, and they took counsel to slay them. So we go from the persecution of threatening in Acts 4. We go from the persecution of, of being arrested in Acts 4 and 5. Now they take counsel to murder them, to put them to death. This did not surprise the apostles. You want to hold your finger here and turn back to Matthew chapter 5. We all know and love the Beatitudes. Blessed, blessed, blessed. But then you get to Matthew 5, 10. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, 
For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. I believe these words were ringing in their hearts and minds as they are now being told not, not just that you can't preach, not just that you are going to be imprisoned, but they're going to be tortured. The apostles boldly told of their faith in Christ to this Jewish high court. They're not afraid. Well, maybe a little. Uh, but I want you to know that they were so filled with the Spirit that, that they did not think about being afraid. They were more controlled by faith than fear. So they filled Jerusalem with the good news in spite of opposition from the council uh, because the uh, uh, commitment that the apostles had. And then thirdly, in spite of skeptics like uh, uh, Gamaliel, verses 33 to 39. When they heard that, they took counsel to slay them. Then stood up one of the council, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a doctor of the law, had in reputation among the people and commanded to put the apostles forth a little space. So they sent the apostles out, and this Pharisee begins to speak to the council of Sadducees. Now, Gamaliel is a famous rabbi. He is a respected Pharisee. He is a teacher of the apostles. For the Sadducees to listen to a Pharisee, he had to be a distinguished man. Now, his counsel is, unwi is unwise, but God used it to save the apostles at this time. His logic is simply this. Troublemakers come and go. He's already concluded that Jesus was nothing more than a rebel, an insurrectionist. He gives two illustrations. Thutis, verse 35 and verse 36. Thutis boasted himself to be somebody, uh, and yet uh, about 400 follow him, and then he is slain. And then Judas, verse 37, after this, another man, Judas of Galilee, rose up, and, and he also uh, is gone. Josephus actually wrote about uh, Judas, and he simply says history repeats itself. Give these Galileans enough time, they'll disband, they'll go away. You'll never hear about Jesus of Nazareth again. Oh, how wrong he was. But then he says, or this could be from God, verse 39, and if this is from God, you don't want to find yourself fighting against God. So what's the conclusion? You know, the church cannot be stopped. The church cannot be stopped by man. The church cannot be stopped by Satan. Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And so here we are, 2,000 years later, worshiping on Sunday, testifying that we believe that Jesus is alive, and every time someone gets baptized, testifying in the death, the burial, and what? the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that he is alive. Persecution or pandemics will not shut down the church of Jesus Christ. So what did the leaders do to stop the gospel? Well, we see in verse 40. In verse 40, And to him they agreed, and when they had called the apostles, they beat them. They beat them. 39 stripes, and then they threatened them. Verse 40, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus, and, let, and then they let them go. If you go to a website called persecution.org, christianpost.com, you'll find this, this article. While we were here worshiping the Lord Jesus two weeks ago, there was a man in Uganda 
He's 20 years old. He just trusted Christ as a Savior two years ago. The title of the article is Father Kills Son for Converting to Christianity. Uganda, in the Morning Star News. The Muslim father of a 20-year-old convert to Christianity in Uganda on Sunday, August 15, killed him for the refusing to recant his faith, sources said. Kasumi Kawano of the Bu Palama village in the Kibuku district was not charged with murder but a lesser charge of manslaughter because he killed his son in anger for leaving Islam, sources said. The relatives say that the 20-year-old said, I am mature enough to join any religion that I feel like because I am above 18 years old. Uh, Tofilo told him, according to Jamila Baluka, Kawonu's sister, I want to confirm that I am saved by the grace of God. I can't renounce my Christian faith now or in the future. Kawona became angry but remained silent as he left his house, she said. I will not read to you the details of how this father killed his son. But I want to ask our missionaries tonight. This happened in Uganda two weeks ago. Will it change your mind to go to Uganda? No. It could be dangerous. You still want to go. Jesus said, if you are persecuted, rejoice, because great is your reward in heaven. And so how did the, how did the apostles respond to this beating? Verse 41, and they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. They're slapping high fives. Hey, look at this one. Oh, look at mine over here. Oh, I got blood going all the way down to, to my ankles. Woohoo! We suffered for Jesus' sake. Rejoicing. Rejoicing. Isn't that what Jesus told them to do? Yes. And the church grew and prospered. Verse 42, and daily in the temple and in every house they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. Have we filled Jerusalem with the good news of Christ yet? No, but let's keep working on it. You know what makes me smile? When I, when I go into a, a, a Wawa, I go into a, a Panera, I go into a public place where there's a bulletin board, and I grab my track, ah, somebody beat me to it. The track's already there. Uh, the invitation to the outreach is already there. And in my heart I say, good job, church family. Good job. Keep filling Jerusalem with our doctrine. So what do we do? How do we do this? Well, first of all, we pray. We pray tonight, Lord, will you use me this week to share your truth? Uh, Jody was at Costco and buying some food for the new member fellowships we're having. And, and as she's just talking to the lady, oh, yeah, it's tax exempt. And what's your tax exempt number? And so go ahead. And she calls me. I share that. And so she's walking out. Uh, this guy, another customer, a young man, comes up and says, hey, hey, I hear you go to a church. And she said, yes, I do. And she said, well, I, I'm looking for a church. Just another customer. What does she do? Boom, pulls out the track, invites him to come to Valley Forge Baptist. You just make it public. I am a Christian. I'm unashamed to be able to talk about the Lord Jesus, uh, to talk about my church. So pray, Lord, would you use me this week to share your truth? 
And I think the answer is, is yes. Uh, we want to invite God to be able to open those doors, to give us those opportunities, and then look for the opportunities to pass out a track. Look for the opportunity to share your faith. And you just begin talking. Just talk to people when you're out and about. Get the conversation going, and then pull your track out. Look for opportunities. Post a Christian witness. Post a Christian witness. Maybe a verse. Uh, maybe a quote. Don't hide your faith. Don't post politics. Why would you want to put a stumbling block between you and the gospel of someone else? If they get saved, they're going to be convinced in their heart of Judeo-Christian values, right? Right? The Holy Spirit's going to turn the light on. And so let's focus on the gospel, not on the politics. If a person gets saved, God will give them this new life. Let's keep the main thing, the main thing. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our time to be together in your house. Thank you for the apostles who inspire us to be able to keep on keeping on sharing the good news with others. Thank you for all that you've done for us. With our heads bowed, with our eyes closed, I want to ask you tonight, do you know for certain that you're going to heaven? Do you know for certain that your sins are forgiven, that you're born again, that you have the new life of Christ in you? I'm not asking if you've made a profession. I'm not asking if you've been baptized. I'm not even asking if you're a church member. I'm asking you if the Spirit of God is alive in your heart, you're sensitive to sin, you have promptings of the Spirit to be able to read the Bible, to pray, to go to church, to be obedient to the Lord. If you don't have these evidences in your life I invite you tonight to trust Christ you say how do I do that call upon the name of the Lord and you shall be saved so tonight right where you're seated if you're watching at home online if you're here tonight and you're not sure that you're born again you have doubt but the spirit of God is tapping on your heart would you pray with me tonight would you call upon the Lord my prayer will not save you but tonight can be the greatest night of your life. Pray with me now. You can pray sincerely. You can pray silently. God will hear the prayer of your heart as I did many years ago. Pray with me now. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. I ask you to forgive me of all of my sin. I believe Jesus died for me and rose again. Please come into my heart. Become my Lord and Savior. Tonight I trust Christ and Christ alone to come into my life and to save me. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. If you just pray with me, may I say to you, welcome to the family of God. Welcome to God's family. I'd like to pray for you tonight. Anyone at all, if you prayed with me, would you simply raise your hand just for a moment? Yes, pastor, I pray with you and I meant it with all of my heart. Would you simply lift up your hand for a moment? I've trusted Christ as my Savior tonight. Christian, would you take a moment? Would you ask God to help you to be His witness this week? To plow, to plant, to water, to post, to share the good news. Father, thank you for our time to be together, to worship you together. 
may you preserve our freedom. And Lord, I pray whatever comes our way that we'll choose to obey God rather than man. In Jesus' name I pray. To all God's children said, Amen. Amen.